This is Life Solved, the podcast that showcases how University of Portsmouth research is changing our world. This time, how safe is your workplace from online crime? The weakest link in the chain can compromise someone who has put some effort into their cybersecurity. So for smaller businesses, this could mean that if they don't have adequate cybersecurity, they won't be a preferred collaborator for bigger businesses. And how real is the threat of cyber warfare? Russia is in the top five in terms of cyber capability, along with China, obviously the US, the UK and so on. We'll find out how work from the University of Portsmouth is empowering people and governments to enjoy online technology safely at home, at work and beyond. It feels very nice to actually see that our work has a significant social impact. Dr. Vasilius Karaginopoulos is a reader of cybercrime and cybersecurity at the School of Criminology and Criminal Justice here at the University of Portsmouth. My main interests are, for one, cybercrime awareness for vulnerable groups, such as young people and older adults, or small and medium organizations. And the other main interest I have is political cyber attacks from hacktivism all the way to cyber warfare. The word cyber might make you think of robots, Doctor Who baddies and 1980s sci-fi drama. But what does this word actually mean in a real and modern context? Well, that's a very interesting question. You know, we, we came up with the term cyber and cyberspace at the beginning of the internet when it started becoming more popular and we needed to sort of distinguish this space from our everyday lives because it was something very distinct. People were doing it when they were back home, connecting on their computers and spending a little bit of time online using a phone line. I would say today, cyber is everywhere and it's a little bit more difficult to actually find a distinction between what is cyber and what is not cyber because we communicate even this interview is done in a cyber way everything we do in terms of contacting friends or organizing things or working is done in a in a hybrid or cyber way nowadays especially after the lockdowns cyber is convenient for us in terms of creating that distinction in our minds compared to our offline lives But the more obviously we develop with digital technologies and information technologies and they become present everywhere and we use them for our everyday activities, cyber is becoming a little bit more enmeshed, let's say, with non-cyber. We have this hybrid kind of environment nowadays. But our evolving use of technology in society also means that cybercrime is one of the most prevalent forms of crime that means there's a need to evolve the laws around our use of cyberspace. That's how Vaz came to the field. His background studying law in Athens led him to an interest in the sociology of cyber law and hacktivism, politically or socially motivated hacking. If you look at law 25 years ago in terms of trying to deal with online activity, there was a lot of effort, for example, to discuss whether we could use existing laws to apply them to cyberspace activities. And that was actually one of the first things I came across when I was doing my study in law and, and cyberspace. We've come a long way since then. We've realized that 
things were getting a lot more complicated really quick. Law couldn't keep up. We needed new laws. We needed updated laws in order to deal with existing problems and the upcoming problems that technology would create. Therefore, we've seen huge changes in terms of existing laws, new legislation. Uh, we're at the cusp of a very important kind of legislative change in the UK with the Internet Safety Bill that's coming up. This is probably going to change how the internet is, is dealt with in the future, with online platforms being much more involved in moderating content, for example, um, and new offences that might exist. So definitely a new landscape that has come up in the last 30 years in law. So what does it take to study criminals in the online space? Do you need to know some hacker secrets yourself? You need some very basic knowledge in terms of how technology works. So I'm not a hacker, I'm not a techie, as we say. I come at it from a more socio-legal and anthropological and criminological perspective, and I focus on the human aspects of cybercrime rather than the technical aspects of cybercrime. In most cases, people would consider cybercrime as one thing. But essentially, as I said, cyber has now become part of our everyday life to an extensive scope. So in this respect, we can see, for example, different cybercrime. So no one can be an expert in all types of cybercrime because we're talking about someone who would be an expert in murders, in fraud, in theft, in harassment, um, in hate crime. We are trying to cover as much as possible, especially when we're dealing with victims, because the victims of cybercrime can face all sorts of different activities during their lives, from fraud and cyberbullying all the way to getting hacked and having their data exposed. But it is a, a very vast field of study as well. Law enforcement in the online space presents new challenges as it doesn't always happen within the boundaries of nations and their jurisdictions. Vaz is also director of the Cybercrime Awareness Clinic, which provides advice to individuals, organisations, community groups, schools and colleges, as well as businesses in Portsmouth and the surrounding area. This was initially set up as a project with Hampshire Constabulary in 2017. The main goal of that project was to identify vulnerabilities in terms of how cybercrime is dealt with at the local level, what more the constabulary could do, to help citizens prevent cybercrime or support victims of cybercrime. So uh, there's definitely issues with cybercrime being a global phenomenon. Cybercriminals can act from various different jurisdictions, so that poses a huge challenge for law enforcement in terms of extraditing hackers and taking them to court. In the UK, for example, you know, if someone is in Russia at the moment hacking citizens in the UK, there's minimal chance that a prosecution will happen eventually. It's this point that means cybercrime can also become an issue of international security. And this is another thorny area Vaz has been exploring. With cyber warfare, it's a very contested topic and we have multiple definitions of it. So, for example, the more international law, let's say, kind of definition focuses on whether we have cyber attacks that could be equated to the use of force in the international law sense. And that would mean that a cyber attack like that would be a declaration of war because it would have a similar impact to a kinetic attack uh, that would be use of force in terms of sending a missile, for example, to hit a particular target. 
the more common way that cyber warfare as a term is being used is the more media way, I like to say, where we don't really have attacks of that magnitude, but we do have cyber attacks that might be allegedly originating from state-backed or state-affiliated hackers and attacks that might be targeting state resources, government resources, for example, or major corporations in a particular organization in order to steal confidential data that could have an impact in a particular conflict. So this is a more common definition for cyber warfare, in the media at least, and we tend to see attacks that look more like espionage or sabotage rather than attacks that would be similar to a use of force and would destroy targets and would cause severe harm and severe damage to property. To your average citizen, the idea of cyber warfare is not only frightening because of its scale and remoteness, but because of the lack of understanding we have about how easy it is to attack our nations. How safe are we really? Well, there's cyber attacks going on all the time not necessarily state-to-state or state-hackers-to-state hackers and state resources, but a lot of cyber attacks are happening in, in real time as we speak. There's definitely a lot of cyber attacks that are being blocked by the necessary defenses in various different networks, but a lot of cyber attacks are also successful. It's very hard to have a full scope, a full understanding of how many cyber attacks happen and what their implications are. And the level of attribution is always very difficult in terms of making sure that you know who has done it. Because as we said, this can be done anonymously, it can be done from a distance, and it can be done on a large scale. So this is one of the main problems, attribution, because no state is going to come out and say, yes, it was me that did the hack. So there's always this struggle to prove that perhaps state agents were behind a particular attack that is targeting other state resources. We are definitely more reliant on technology and that obviously makes us more vulnerable if that technology goes wrong. We have seen a huge increase in terms of our reliance on technology within the last couple of years and the pandemic and the lockdowns have accelerated that process that was ongoing in terms of using technology for more activities. But at the same time, we are becoming more knowledgeable and more alert in terms of the threats and the risks. It's just the main problem is cyber criminals have increased. There's more opportunity, there's more devices. And especially with a pandemic, a lot of people have been forced to go online and engage with more activities online without necessarily being well prepared to do that. And that's the work we're doing with the clinic. We're trying to educate people about the increased risks that exist in terms of new applications, new technologies that people might be using and therefore we can make them more prepared for any attacks that come. There is definitely more focus on preventing cybercrime and supporting the public, supporting businesses, supporting organizations. We have seen a significant investment from government in terms of putting resource in agencies that relate to cybercrime and cybersecurity, such as the National Cybersecurity Center. There's also the cyber resilience centers that have popped up across the country in terms of supporting organizations. Okay, so empowering potential victims and organizations with knowledge to protect themselves is one approach. 
But how vulnerable are we as a nation to state-led attacks? As the Russia-Ukraine war continues, has cyber warfare been a part of this? It is very difficult to actually have a full understanding of the cyber capabilities of different countries. We know, for example, that according to research from different governments, Russia is in the top five in terms of cyber capability at the moment, along with China, obviously the US, the UK, and so on. But we haven't seen any major cyber attacks originating from Russia, even though that was an anticipated event. There are various different interpretations as to why this hasn't happened. But at the moment, we don't see the level of cyber power that we were expecting to see displayed on behalf of Russia. The UK in their cybersecurity strategy want to make the country the safest place online to be. So the internet safety bill is obviously an effort to, to achieve that as well. So there is a lot of investment in terms of protecting our critical infrastructures, in terms of developing our cyber defenses, in terms of being prepared for any attacks that might come. We do have the misinformation pandemic, as we call it, where obviously a lot of the information online is not 100% valid or is promoting darker purposes politically, economically. But at the same time, we do have a very positive tool that can be used for information to be circulated. So in the current Ukraine war, for example, we see that a lot of uh, communications, a lot of efforts from hackers and hacktivists relate to communicating to the Russian public what is happening in Ukraine and bypassing the censorship that the Russian government might be implementing. So as you say, this is a very good example, and we see this across the world in terms of using the internet as a form of communication and sharing information. Crossing fields of legality and security, Vaz says cybercrime is also an ideological matter. Cybercrime is a human rights issue, and cybersecurity is a human rights issue because every activity that we do online has an impact in terms of freedom of expression, in terms of privacy in terms of access to information, and these are all core elements of our everyday lives. So we tend to see that every policy, for example, the Internet Safety Bill now, is very much related to all these civil liberties and all these human rights. And a lot of the discussions in terms of how cybercrime protection should happen in relation to this bill is very much linked to actually finding the balance between security and protecting human rights. So in this respect, we tend to see human rights playing a huge role in these debates, and obviously we teach that as well, so it's a very important subject. One approach to minimising cybercrime is by intervening early with potential future perpetrators and victims. The Orpheus project has been funded by the European Commission and sees Vaz working with collaborators in France, Belgium and the Netherlands. And it's a big project. It's a four-year project focusing on online and offline counter-radicalization of, of young people. So essentially trying to help young people avoid going down the path of violent extremism by educating them on uh, online media literacy, fake news, propaganda and a lot of other activities that the various partners involved in Orpheus help with. In addition to that is an education project called the Cyber Ambassadors Project. 
The Cyber Ambassadors is an initiative from the Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner of Hampshire. And the idea is young people in schools and colleges are trained in cyber crime awareness related issues. And then they organize activities in their schools and colleges for their peers to educate them in cyber awareness. And so what we, we did with the clinic working with the cyber ambassadors is we've evaluated their current delivery and we've helped them also develop new ways of developing and delivering content and change the rationale of the trainings a little bit to be from, you know, a very negative, scaremongering, safeguarding approach to a much more positive value and skills-based approach that will enhance the resilience of the young people. So the whole idea of the clinic is that we want to work with young people. That's why we created the clinic, because we felt that top-down solutions are not as effective. And we wanted to, to work with the public in terms of understanding how they would like the advice developed, how they would like the advice communicated, where they want to get their advice from, and how we can then help them get the best possible advice and support in, in every case. So in this respect, obviously, we want to empower young people and not just consider them as passive victims that we need to protect them. We want them to have the, the critical awareness and the emotional awareness to counter these um, attacks and understand if someone is trying to groom them, for example, online, if someone is trying to trick them into clicking on links that would infect their computers or cause them to, to lose money. We're trying to educate them about the implications of cyber activities legal implications, the ethical implications, the impact these activities could have on other people. And, and that's also part of our, of our training in terms of their digital citizenship. Back to the UK level now. Vaz says more training and resources are needed to help local constabularies deal with crime, but that awareness projects and training for organisations and individuals is just as important. After the success of the Hampshire Constabulary Clinic project, Vaz worked across a national campaign to help small and medium businesses develop awareness and protect themselves against cyber attacks via the National Cyber Security Cyber Clinics project. Just submitted our final report to the National Cyber Security Centre, so they are expecting to use this report in order to change the way they do cyber awareness for small and medium enterprises. When we go out and we speak to people, we can see the real impact that the research has. There is this tendency to feel that academics are in their ivory towers and they do research that no one reads and no one cares about. So it, it feels very nice to actually see that our work has a significant social impact. SMEs are a huge amount of organizations falling in this category. We're talking about almost 99% of the businesses in the UK being SMEs because of their importance in the UK economy and in global economy, to be honest. It's really important to safeguard these organizations. And at the same time, it's very difficult to safeguard them because a lot of these organizations will not have the interest in cybersecurity and they won't have the resources to invest. And we see that in our research all the time that a lot of the smaller businesses especially don't feel that cybercrime is relevant to them. They feel they're too small to matter to cyber criminals. At the same time, because they're small, they don't have the time 
to dedicate to educating themselves about cybersecurity or putting the investment in to buy, let's say, some cybersecurity support or pay a consultant to, to help them set up the cybersecurity properly or even take the time out to read some of the materials that the National Cybersecurity Center is freely giving out. Obviously, the impact depends on the reliance of the organization on information, on IT systems, but also the nature of the attack. So you can have, let's say, a data breach. So someone is stealing some personal uh, information from your website um, and then sells it online. And that could mean, for example, that there is a data protection breach that needs to be reported. You have to inform your customers about the breach and obviously this will have an impact on them if uh, important information about them has been leaked and it might have a reputational impact for the organization as well if you're not considered safe or as safe as you were before this could mean for example that third parties third party organizations are more reluctant to work with you because you don't have adequate cybersecurity, and that could have an impact on them it's really important to consider that cybersecurity is a chain and we're all involved in this. So the weakest link in the chain can compromise someone who has put some effort into their cybersecurity. So for smaller businesses, this could mean that if they don't have adequate cybersecurity, they won't be a preferred collaborator for bigger businesses and they might not be able to get involved in government contracts because they won't have adequate cybersecurity in place. If you work for an SME or run one, where can you start your journey to getting clued up on cybersecurity and avoid some of these dire results? There's definitely a lot of resources published from the National Cybersecurity Centre in relation to business security, and the Information Commissioner's Office has a lot of advice in relation to data protection. A lot of this advice can be found on our website, the clinic website as well. If organizations are interested in doing something about cybersecurity and they don't know where to start, the National Cybersecurity Center is a great uh, place to start. You can find some more useful links for this in the show notes for this episode. Going forwards, Vasilius is developing a project with Professor Mark Button to look at initiatives for preventing fraud and cybercrime in older adults. This partnership with South Korean universities will allow the team to gain insights not only into criminals but victims of cybercrime too. Cybercrime and cyber warfare are topics that can create a lot of fear for individuals like you and me. But Vaz reminded us that ultimately, technology is a great thing and sharing knowledge should empower everyone to feel safe to enjoy it. We tend to be very pessimistic about the impact of technology and the problems and the threats and the risks of using technology. And we tend to forget all the positive aspects of that technology. As with every tool, it can be used for criminal purposes, but we've also seen some major developments in terms of this technology and how it helped us go through the pandemic and the lockdowns, for example, and we managed to maintain working, we managed to maintain communicating with friends and family. I think we disregard this in many cases when we're discussing about cybercrime. And the reason we want to educate people and talk to them about the various threats and risks is not because we want to scare them off 
using the technologies. For me, from the beginning, the main purpose of the work we're doing with the clinic and my research in general is about educating the public so they can be safer when they're embracing the technologies and all the various applications that are coming towards us. This is very important. Cyber education needs to be empowering. It shouldn't be about scaring people away from using the technology. We should make people more confident. FAS works across a diverse range of projects from the University of Portsmouth. You can find out more about the Cybercrime Awareness Clinic and other research at the University of Portsmouth on our website, port.ac.uk forward slash research. We'll be back again next week. Follow this podcast on your favourite app so you don't miss it. And if you liked this episode of Life Solved, why not share it with a friend and start a conversation? See you next time.